Hello and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I am the Investors Chronicle editor, John Human. I'm joined today by Companies editor Stephen Wilmot. Hi, John. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Wonderful. Uh, news editor Ian Smith. Hello, John. How are you doing? I'm good, I think. And uh, <laughs> over in the control room, multitasking again, Julia Bradshaw. How are you doing, Julia? Hey, John. What's up? I'm all right. Yeah, good. 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 Okay. Um, got lots to discuss this week. I mean, we're, we're sort of supposed to be winding down into the summer months. The sun is shining outside, but uh, there's lots going on. Busy, busy times. Stephen's back from holiday. Uh, you've been to Greece. I have. And you're gonna you're gonna do uh, kind of a bit of a, a travelogue today and and weave in some wonderful economic insight as well. Well, it's it, it's not like there's nothing been going on in in Greek finances. No, no. What about Greek bed and breakfasts? <laughs> Um, Ian, you're going to be running through the news in a minute. Yep. Um, and Julia, we've had some results this week that are in your sector, yep. uh, notably Tesco. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll have a chat about that because they were massive losses that they were announced over Huge there. Huge losses. Biggest ever in the retail sector. Absolutely. Six, Multi-billion pound six, losses. 6.8 billion, is that right? Yeah, oh, nearly right. 7 Good. billion. Wow. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's kick off with uh, seven days. What's been going on in the world, Ian? What has been going on in the world? Uh, well, you know, a few company stories this week um, that were kind of uh, hitting the headlines. IBM sales continue to fall for a 12th straight quarter. That's, um, a, that's a Buffett favourite, isn't it? Yeah, and then so oh, that's the kind of strength of the U.S. dollar there uh, has hurt them a little bit. Okay. But uh, there's some good news there too. There's increasing revenue from the clouds and analytics services that they have there. So IBM, uh, Rolls Royce CEO departure. Mm, um, yeah, the market liked that one, didn't they? Yeah, the market, the shares were up on that. As uh, the um, former CEO of Arm, uh, Warren East, will be taking over, and he's a non-exec at Rolls Royce at the moment. So uh, kind of fairly smooth transition there. Yeah, uh, and obviously he's done, like it. It. he's done an amazing job at Arm. Um, in fact, Arm had some numbers out Yes, it had its recently, Q1s. And they were storming. Yes, as the market has got used to them always being. I mean, they, they were good, but as expected. So I don't think the shares particularly jumped. So I think they did a little on the day, but it, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't a huge surprise. But, yeah, but they, yeah. They, yeah, they were very strong numbers. Well, I, th- I, th- I think you know, Arm, Arm has always been a very highly rated company. And I think there's always been this, this worry. I think Philip Ryan uh, has in the past described it as a dream stock. You know, o- overly rated growth prospects will never materialise, but they seem to be. And this you know, continued smartphone growth around the world. Yeah, and I, I think one of the issues is it's because it's the only only technology large cap in the UK market. Any kind of UK fund manager who wants exposure to technology inevitably buys ARM, and so it does trade at a premium to what you might expect. Mm. And we at Investor Chronicle have always had trouble with those kind of companies, um, very highly rated, but th- that rating has never really come under pressure. And the Q1 numbers showed why the market likes it so much. Okay, so uh, anyway, Rolls-Royce, they're going to benefit from uh, the uh, the expertise of Warren East and uh that's good news for Rolls-Royce shareholders. Yeah, and now elsewhere, and a couple of European stories, uh, Brussels serving antitrust charges against Gazprom, Russian gas giant. So uh, they have uh, 12 weeks, I believe, to respond to those charges. Mm, um, World Russia gets, gets worse worse yeah. and worse. Um, and elsewhere in Europe, I mean, we'll be talking about Greece in a moment, but um, the German government uh, upgraded its growth forecasts uh, for this year. Um, so, you know, further strength in, the, in Europe's biggest So interestingly, economy. we've had some slightly weak PMI data come out today so a bit of a mixed bag weak French manufacturing figures and the German surveys seems to have come off a bit as well so um, but I mean talking talking of Germany there's another big story in uh, the news section this week uh, which is Sky which um, is now fully exposed to Germany through Sky Deutschland which it bought 
last year? Yeah, it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was last year. Um, so yeah, it's, it seems to be doing very well there, picking up yeah. lots of new business. 100, 103,000 new retail subscribers in Germany and Austria um, over the, I think, first three months of this year. Um, but yeah, Sky's doing really well. Uh, customer retention is up. Um, customer growth is growing more strongly. There was a, they had the biggest ever, most successful UK drama to date, Fortitude. Did Fortitude? anyone watch that? No, but I like the headline. British psychological thriller. <laughs> yeah, I like the headline. Um, set in Norway. It's got the star of The Killing in it. If anyone watched The Killing, it's a British drama know. set in Norway. Yeah, I think so. so. Just buy as much as I gleaned off the internet, I haven't actually watched it myself. Okay, we don't we don't just buy them from Scandinavia now. We make them in Scandinavia <laughs> too. Okay. Yeah. Well, Norway's Norway's good. I uh, enjoyed uh, Lily Hammer, which we talked about before, haven't we, Stephen? Indeed. Wonderful. Is she, wonderful. Is she wearing her sweaters? Her famous sweaters? I don't know. I'm gonna have to watch it. Yeah. This. Uh, oh, it I did Sophie Grabble. Yeah. Sarland. Yeah. yeah. That's the character. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Ooh. Famous for wearing. I don't have Sky, so I don't know. Neither do I. I don't have a TV. You don't have a TV? No. It's all about Netflix. Oh, my God. Two out of four people in this room don't own a television. (laughs) 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 Uh, And we're talking about Sky. Great. Um, (laughs) No, I I, I don't. uh, I'm not a Sky customer. I am a BT customer. Uh, And anyone who's been on my Twitter feed this week will know that uh, I've not had a happy experience (laughs) this week. But I'm not moving. And, um, yeah, I think uh, that just goes to show the inertia that's still quite rife in this industry but so Sky's doing very well to pick up this this level of business um, yeah I, I think just in terms of balance um, there's going to be some um, TV price rises for Sky customers and um, the analysts are looking at see the impact that that has so the kind of jury's out on that mm, so um, and the jury's, is the jury still out on how much it's paid for football because that I mean that's been a big worry about Sky for a while that it's overpaid for, for, for broadcast rights for Premier League football yeah that's one of the things that people um, are a little bit concerned about it was a record um, I haven't got the figure to hand, but it was a record payout, wasn't it? Mm, good news for football fans. So um, um, my team, West Ham, has, uh, as a result, cut its season ticket prices. Uh, its lowest price is now 289 quid. So uh, I might actually watch a football match. 289 pounds? For a whole season's football. Oh, okay. Is that before they get to the Olympic Stadium? That's when they get to the Olympic That's Stadium. That's when. Yeah, it's a great move. I'm, I'm there. Down the road for me. I'll join Gosh, you. Much yeah. cheaper than Glyndebourne. Than who? <laughs> <laughs> it's an opera house. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so there's, there's a cultural divide in this. Yeah, there really is. Down the people middle. that own a telly know what that, what they, what that reference was. <laughs> okay, we haven't talked much about the election recently. We decided we weren't going to talk much about it because it seems to be in cloud cuckoo fairyland at the moment. But uh, there's been some business news from the election this week that you've, you've written about here, Ian, uh, yeah. regarding the uh, Lloyds shareholding, the government Lloyds shareholding. Yeah, so I suppose um, the the Conservative Party want a good news story, so they've re-announced that the fact they want to sell Lloyd shares, which obviously was which was the criticism of the Labour Party yeah. in response to this this rehashed announcement. But we still think it will be like, interesting to our readers. Um, they're looking at a kind of discount of at least five percent to the share price. That's new, um, isn't it? For Is small investors. Um, I think yeah, they might new. have talked that's about new. them being. No, that's new. I'm pretty sure. I mean, there's also this loyalty bonus, which I'm, I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, they've new. just released a few a few details, but of course, obviously, these details aren't very relevant because they're subject to presumably will then happen if the Conservatives Subs- win a majority government, Subs- which no one expects. So, which no one expects. So, so who knows? You know, but it, yeah. I mean, it shows a bit of commitment to neo-Thatcherism. Well, it gives them a, it gives them another excuse to say the words long-term economic plan in a few interviews. So I'm sure that's part of the reason why the news came out. Long-term economic plan. Is that a phrase that's going to come back and haunt George Osborne in the way that's no more boom and bust has come back to haunt Gordon Brown? Um, so, yeah, banks. I mean, you've written about one of the banks in the tip section this week, a challenger bank. 
let's not spoil the party and tell everyone who it is, but okay. uh, quite interesting. There's a good conditions for the banking sector anyway. Yeah, it's a benign credit environment. It's been a real boost. Yeah, uh, funnily enough, on, on, talking about lenders, kind of Wonga obviously had a had a difficult week. Good. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure some people cheered that, um, but it reported its first annual uh, loss. So kind of regulation being ramped up against the payday loan industry. But the other lenders uh, have been doing well, or at least did well in their last 2014 results. Um, yeah, The listed plays on that being Provident Financial and SNU. Yeah, primarily. And Provident's a little bit different to, to Wonga. Yeah, it, it's got other stuff as well. But I think it also does doorstep. It does, it does, and it, it does lend Indeed. money at very high rates. Got its, uh, what is it the uh, Vantis credit card? Is that right? Yes, is that which is, I mean, they're very choosy. I mean, they they reject I mean, the vast majority of people that yes. actually apply to them to borrow. It's, uh, but it's interesting. I know, you know, I do wonder. I mean, this whole backlash against the payday lenders, and I know it's been a bit of a rampant uh, growth of that industry over the last few years. But I mean, yeah, what's the alternative? I mean, there are people who de- who need these kind of services, and it's all very well to say, yeah, I know Wonga is terrible, but I mean. What, what replaces it? Dodgy Dave, the loan shark, and, uh, mm. and his baseball bat? Yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's true. Mm. It's true. It's, um, you know, I think uh, it's all very well to criticise businesses like this, but, you know, they, they do provide a social purpose to a degree. When but regulated, they serve when a regulated, purpose. Exactly right. When regulated. Should okay. we go from dodgy Dave to drastic Dave? Yeah, let's go. That's a great segue, and I like it a lot. <laughs> let's talk Dave. about drastic Dave, not dangerous Dave, as I called him no, last week. No, that was drastic way Dave, too exciting. Dodgy Dave. <laughs> <laughs> drastic Dave, what's he been up to? Drastic Dave has basically decided to take the, all the pain up front for Tesco. So he is is getting all the skeletons out of the closet and trying to start from a clean sheet, which has basically resulted in massive exceptional costs and write downs for Tesco, uh, close to £7 billion, if I remember correctly, which contributed to the massive pre-tax loss. And what, so what's it writing down, the value of assets? The property, so the property Store value. base in the UK. Yeah, I mean, the store bases have gone down in value hugely because cause supermarkets, because the sector isn't doing well, and therefore there have been huge write-downs. There is also a big write-down in the Chinese joint venture as well. And on top of that, sales are still declining. UK trading profits have been falling because of lower sales and, and all this investment that's required. Investment in price, investment in products, and investments in um, customer service as well. But T- Tesco did mention, uh, they did point to a, an increase in volumes in the last quarter. Yeah, they did. So volumes have increased for the first time. And prices are in going four years. down. Prices still, are going down. So, so still. sales are still so falling. So sales are still falling. Yes. But, that's, yeah. that's, but not this, a- that's, that's deflation in food pricing mm-hmm. that's doing that. Yeah, that's the price cuts, basically, which is doing that, and the lower commodity prices as well okay um so i mean it was under you could argue that the underlying trading was reasonably positive the fact that volumes are going up does suggest that tesco has been moderately successful in getting shoppers back through the door because its prices are better maybe its stores are a little better um but there's still a huge amount of work ahead uh there is no final dividend payment um and in terms of any kinds of earnings forecasts, it's still very much up in the air. There's still a huge range of earnings forecasts. Mm, I noticed this morning that Sainsbury's had announced some big uh, staff cuts. Big staff cuts. Have they? I think they yeah. have, yeah. yeah. Well, that's not surprising because Sainsbury's said when it um, updated the market recently that it was cutting costs and mm. that's all part of it. Tesco's been um, cutting overheads as well, consolidating its European um, head office into one rather than four. It's been cutting down costs hugely at its central office uh, in the UK. So there will be a lot of cuts. But it hasn't been actually closing many stores, has it? Tesco closed 43 stores, Uh which isn't a huge amount, actually. But I 
mean, there'll have to be more. There will have to be more st- store closures to come. I mean, the, the property write-downs, are, it, it's it's a classic sort of property boom and bust story, isn't it? Because there's, there was the space race in you know, 2010, 11, 12. Sure, sure. And you know, that, that was when I was covering property a couple of years ago. That was the story. You know, it was a gloomy landscape apart from supermarkets. Uh, everyone wanted to invest in supermarket properties because there was this great covenants, you know, really big companies paying your rent. So who, who was buying those uh, those stores? I mean, well, investors. So, you know, Aberdeen Asset Management or pension funds because they're, they're sold on index inflation indexed rents as well yeah. so they were very attractive but unfortunately they've 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 stopped being that attractive i mean they're still reasonably attractive obviously because no one expects tesco to go bust but um but the value of those but the value is worth a lot less yeah the value ones. has come down um as they've started to close stores so there has you know the risk of those properties becoming redundant has increased and, mm. and, and, and you know that's what these write downs reflect is, is that a worry for for these pension funds that have bought these properties? Is, is this a problem that's going to rear its head in, in the in, years In other ahead? ways, well, I mean, British Land, the second largest UK property company, um, its largest tenant is Tesco. It did yeah. a deal with Tesco recently, didn't it? So yeah, it did, did, a, it did a deal with Tesco. And I, actually, it was a very complex deal. Yeah. It was sort of an asset swap, and I can't quite remember what the result result of that was. No, before, before, before that, it was definitely, Tesco was definitely its largest tenant. Tesco did sale and lease back agreements with British Land back in, I can't yeah. remember when, but anyway, it's, it was lumbered with these big superstore formats which have veered out of fashion. Well, it sounds like the property sector's got a bit of sorting out to do You're still, quite, perhaps, yeah, yeah. With, uh, with regards to its exposure to... Uh to, to the hypermarket format. I mean, we, we talked about a company uh, a few weeks back, or we tipped a company a few weeks back, Tritex Big Box REIT. That is, yeah, that's, that's, an, about, that's about warehousing. And yeah, exactly. That's, that's a sweet spot, really. In that's an interesting little story. And yeah, that, that's a company that owns the properties that service the logistics of retailers. So not actually the shops themselves, but the kind of big warehouses from where they dispatch their products, either to consumers houses i.e e-commerce or to the shops um, and of course that is in a way a beneficiary of e-commerce which bricks and mortar shops aren't so mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a that's a good little company yeah yeah we like that okay um julia while we've got you uh got you on the mic yep. as it were your sector focus this week is the luxury goods industry. I know you've done a video of that, yeah, so let's we, not. We, let's there's not, a video. Let's not go into depth uh, on that one, but let's let's uh, perhaps read across from that to uh, to one of the companies that you've written about in this week's AIM 100 feature part two. Mulberry, Mulberry, your favourite company, John. Yeah, I'm very partial to a handbag. Uh, only only the finest leather, of course. But, um, <laughs> no, it was a company that that I I must admit I would pass few years when I was when I was tipping. My sales were not always that great. But Mulberry was one I got right. And they've had all sorts of problems. They have. Do they look like they're on the cusp of finally sorting this out? They've got a new chief executive, which is always a good start. And they have a new creative director as well, which is good because they've been lacking that. Uh, They have made improvements to their price, which was a big problem because under the last chief executive, Mulberry basically tried to go very, very upmarket. And the price of a handbag was more than a thousand pounds so now they've 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 brought that back down to sort of the 500 to 1000 range um because upping the prices like they did before was basically alienating their shoppers people who bought mulberry couldn't afford to spend that much on a handbag um and some some of them could i mean there was a a demographic that for whom mulberry handbags were the de rigueur height of fashion and they'd pay anything for them i know one or two of them but you have to remember as well fashion comes and goes very quickly and if it's out of fashion it's out of fashion and Mm. you're not going to spend two grand on a mulberry handbag bag 
So that was that was a pricing was a big problem. That's now been changed, which has been good. And a lot of their handbags are anecdotally selling well. And I think a recent a recent trading update was actually quite promising. Sales have started to increase. Um, so so there are signs that Mulberry might be recovering. Although I have to say it is early days, and I don't know much about the new chief executive either. Okay. Shares have bounced back a bit. They have, year, yeah, they the have bounced back. Yeah, so after a dismal run for. Many, many years. Lots of profit warnings. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So things are looking better for Mulberry, but we're sort of, we're, we're holding off for now. And you mentioned in your, in your sector focus a uh, competitor that I'd not heard of, which I presume is an American company that's, uh, that's kind of hitting their, their space. Uh, Michael, Michael Kors. Michael Kors, yeah. yeah I've I mean, never heard of this company. Michael Kors is an American company which has made huge inroads in the UK. I, I, on my daily commute, I always see a Michael Kors handbag now. Which is incredible. It's a, it's an aspirational brand, so it's not quite luxury luxury, but it's not high street either. It's somewhere around the Ted Baker sort of yeah. area, which is more aspirational, I guess. And we like we like Ted Baker in, in your sector focus. Well, I won't go into it too much. As I said, you can go and watch a video. Yeah, uh, we'll do but, watch the but video. But Ted, Ted Baker's the favourite in there again. It is the favourite. I mean, it's an expensive stock, but it's worth it's worth the price. It's very well run. It's got very it's very underpenetrated abroad, um, and it it's consistently. Uh, over-delivered on sales and profits. It's just a, it's just a very solid company, and it, there's huge room for growth in our view. Mm, Jimmy Choo, I'm a bit partial to uh, to some uh, high-end footwear as well. Some Jimmy Choo. <laughs> how's Jimmy, Jimmy Choo getting like on? It's not, not been on the market too long. So. No, it hasn't. Um, and it's it's it, the shares have kind of flatlined a little bit actually. I mean, they've they haven't been hugely spectacular, but it's still early days. And I think recently when we wrote about Jimmy, Jimmy Choo in the oh no, it was in the sector focus actually. Um, we said that it is potentially an acquisition target, possibly for one of the bigger luxury goods companies mm. like Caring or LVMH, one of these big guys. Makes the sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yep. While we're on the subject of shoes, let's go right to the other end of the shoe uh, business. Uh, painful, painful. Shoes are- <laughs> Shoes and yet one of our tips, which is uh, gone south. It, yeah, it's not too. The actual tip performance is not that bad. No, but, I think it was down six percent on our tip. But it was tip. up quite a bit on the tip price. It and, was um, up a huge amount, and it was looking good. And then we had this horrible, horrible profit warning, completely out of the blue. Um, so and that just sent the shares down by a third. And it, it basically called the fashion wrong. It had gone for thigh length boots rather than ankle rather than ankle boots well it's really strange basically management (laughs) said that because of the hot weather in the autumn and winter customers weren't buying full-length boots which are higher margin and more expensive they were buying ankle boots but it the timing is odd because they just reported a good set of results and to now say that back in the autumn and winter trading wasn't very good just seems a little bit late in the day. I mean, surely they should have updated the market. Yeah, so we, we've early, um, we've swung from on. we've swung from buy to sell uh, on the basis that a company that a blames the weather and b has such a rapid fire change of uh, guidance isn't very reliable, or certainly its guidance can't be reliable. No, I mean it, it, it leads us to question the guidance. It's I, they, I mean, granted they are new to the market; they are new to being a publicly listed company. But that that, as we said, I think in our coverage, isn't really an excuse. Um, so yeah, it's very disappointing because it was it had done so well and the income potential was was very attractive. Mm. It's, it's, I mean, it's fundamentally, you know, apart from this ankle boot era, I mean, it doesn't look so bad. No, fundamentally, it doesn't look so bad. It's not like it's made huge losses. But we just don't trust it now. For yeah, the time being. we just don't trust it for the time being, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, there you go. 
But he, heed that warning, chief executives of uh, of the London Stock yes. Exchange, because you you cannot be doing that. You can't. You have to be consistent in the guidance. Yeah, precisely. Okay, so from one disaster to another. Although I hear you had a wonderful holiday. So. <laughs> Greece. Yeah, there wasn't not much evident. Well, one of the most amazing things about Athens is how cheap and well provided is with taxis. So taxis are very cheap, and there are enormous amounts of them. So you can just sort of go to virtually any street corner, it seems, and a taxi will drive by within a minute. And um, apparently this is because loads of people have been, obviously, you know, they've got an unemployment rate at 26%. So lots of people have sort of decided to buy a taxi and set up on their own. Okay. So our hostess, so I was staying with a family friend in Athens uh, who's a who's a, a teacher and um, she uh, wasn't hugely optimistic about, well, she's a bit worried about her pay packet, for example. With, but we, um, we, we spoke about this, I mean, essentially works, she works for the Greek government. Yeah, exactly. Um, as we discussed yesterday, you know, she's probably last on the list of people who might uh, not be paid. Yes, and I don't think she's, it's, in a way, it's not rational for her to be worried because there's a, there's a radical left-wing government. The fact that they're playing hardball with their creditors does not mean they're going to play hardball with their electorate. But at the same time, obviously, it would make you worried if your paycheck had the Greek government on it. Yeah, it? yeah. Um, and you know, it's just it's a it's a tough situation for people like that. I mean, she 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 bought a house, I guess, seduced by much better credit rates than they'd ever had access to before ten years ago, and now it's worth half what she paid for it. And you know, people are walking away from their flats all the time. She says, but she's sort of sticking in there because her job is close by and so forth and it doesn't make sense but you know. did, did you get a palpable sense that this was a place whose economy was in serious trouble i mean it's a lively city athens i mean the restaurants seem to be pretty full of probably a lot of them are tourists you know we went to dinner with sophia and she sort of she said well probably this girl has a law degree or something mm. and she's been but the, the tragedy is she's been forced to work in the service sector to or that or that, you know, people emigrate because obviously they, Greece has a long dia- history of a di- having a diaspora. Not entirely unusual, though. I suspect if you've just left the university in the United yeah, Kingdom with a law not. degree, you, you might also be working in the service sector. But I guess the longer term prospects are, are Yeah, a bit I mean, I, I think with, with 26% unemployment, I, I think probably graduate employment must be pretty hard to come by. Yeah. On our way to the Acropolis, well, so our taxi driver claimed he had to take a very long diversion around a strike. <laughs> 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 uh, apparently a factory in Thessaloniki was being shut down and okay. they were they were striking. Well, that happens to me in Boulogne a few years back. But, uh... <laughs> I don't think that's a, exactly a, a very rare occurrence in no. Southern Europe. No, it's um, not. It's probably not a sign of a crisis. But, you know, I, I come back and, and um, government, Greek government bond yields are, are, are rocketing. And, um, yeah, we, we seem to sort of jolt from one crisis to another as the series of gov- government kind of stonewalls the um, what used to be called the Troika, the, the, the European Commission, the IMF and the ECB. All, all these pleas for, for reason. Christine Lagarde was probably the most obvious one last week saying, you know, structural reforms are the way forward and so forth. But, yeah, it, but they don't it, happen overnight, do they? I mean. well, they didn't, <laughs> I, no, but I, I guess all they really want is for Greece to kind of pay lip service to it and sort of carry on as it was before which is saying oh yes no no we agree with you and then it'll angela merkel can kind of not alienate her electorate but that's that's just not going to play with the um the greek electorate i was very interested to read some history about greece and i was just amazed by how actually their their history since independence has been one of dependence rather than independence i mean they've been consistently reliant on like the the goodwill of well first 
first the UK and then the US with its martial aid and then the European Union since the 80s. Mm. And it's just been one long story of... I mean, that, I, I'm not blaming Greece for this. It's just, it, it seems that um, playing independent is you know works well with the greek electorate like they like their politicians to kind of t- t- take anti- slightly anti-western stances and that seems to be what's happening now i think the people who kind of say oh well in the end they'll cave in i think may be underestimating the power of that kind of independence message to the greek electorates yeah, yeah. Well, I think all electorates like their politicians or would-be politicians, as we, we well indeed the, 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 in the middle of an election. Well, to, the British to take yeah, stances. No, well, quite. Yeah. Uh, and, and the British electorate is equally kind of um, is, is is very unhappy with any idea that uh, its uh, politicians are guided by Brussels. Indeed, and and I think the quote we chose from the piece to, to illustrate the seven days approach this week is that is, is essentially a conclusion that what's going on in Greece proves that. Uh, the link between politics and the system and, and the monetary system, far from being solved. Yeah, and no, well, the, the, yeah. That actually, this big rally we've seen in, in, in the Eurozone, Bourses, for uh, for some time, is, is perhaps built on shaky foundations. Yeah, I mean, it's been an obviously incredibly strongly performing market year to date, um, European equities. I mean, less so in pound and sterling terms, certainly, but in euro terms. And uh, it's because, you know, PMI surveys have been slightly better and so forth. But yeah, there's there's still I, I, I was affected writing this by by reading a book by um, Roger Bootle, the head of Capital Economics. He's you know he he's, he's taken a Eurosceptic stance. It's, it's hardly surprising he's been making this argument. But, well, he won he won the Wolfson Economics but, Prize, but but actually he? won yeah. the Wolfson Ex- Economics Prize for his plan to resolve the the Euro crisis. And and he you know so we should listen to him. Yeah, <laughs> we should uh, listen to him. Well, his, but his his idea of resolution is is breakup. Basically, he thinks that. Um, the eurozone because of i mean I, the basic point is you know we've got used to this idea that there's a monetary union but there's no fiscal union and everyone you know acknowledges this is a problem but the answer that europe has is obviously greater fiscal integration and you know that basically every time that this is put forward to any kind of electorate it, that is rejected they did this in the unification of italy and yet southern italy has never caught up with northern italy like 150 years later you know do we want southern europe to effectively be atrophied by these by the strong currency of a much more dominant northern neighbor but uh, but greece nice place to go on holiday at least. yeah you know, i would <laughs> encourage everyone to go and enjoy the uh, frequent and the cheap taxis and the the decently priced meals and the, well having said that if the new drachma arrives then i'm sure it'll be even cheaper so okay there you go. Thank you, Stephen. I'm glad you uh, glad you're back. Uh, I'm glad you had a good time. <laughs> um, that pretty much covers um, most of what we uh, we were going to talk about this week. Um, there's lots and lots in the magazine, um, and we haven't barely touched uh, the the AIM 100 this week. Um, Ian, there's uh, a number of financial services companies on there. Um, any any in particular stand out amongst the AIM 100 for you? Um, yeah, Secure Trust Bank is one that we covered in the results. They're quite an interesting. Yep. Um, returning to the I like challenger bank interesting way to play that though it's yeah not... i mean that's something i inherited rather than introduced but, but yeah yeah accessing it via a butternut banking group yeah um which owns a big stake in which owns 52 percent or something still and, and secure trust is uh so it's a it's a challenger bank challenger lender who's who's it lending to mainly um, it, it does personal lending, motor, retail, motor finance. finance yeah. yeah, so kind of to, um, to ordinary individuals wanting to take out a line on a new set of wheels. Yeah, um, excellent. 
Yeah, and uh, asset financing is an area uh, that it's moving into. This is, um, so this is helping businesses buy equipment that they otherwise yeah, couldn't Yeah, so that's an area that it's, I mean, that's not, I don't think, currently profitable, but it will be in future. Good. Um, Plus 500 is an interesting well. one. Plus, Plus 500. 500. This is a really funny stock. Yeah, yeah. The new uh, it's going to be the new sponsor of Atletico Madrid. Really? I'm not sure if the fans will have ever heard of it, um, but I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is the point. It's exactly. Me- Rise right. has been quite meteoric. The sixth largest company on AIM now. Mm, mm. Amazing. Well, let's hope it doesn't do a Quindel, which was yeah. the second largest company on AIM last year, and is now the fourteenth. <laughs> uh, it's done well to actually hang on to fourteenth spot. I would yeah. say, it hasn't, <laughs> given the uh, yeah, it hasn't always given been 14, the ups and downs. Um, yeah, we rank it by market cap, by the way. So the, the FTSE hundred, uh, the FTSE AIM one hundred, is a is a finite group that's adjusted every quarter, like the main indices, and we've ranked it according to to market cap on the twenty fourth of March. So uh, uh, there you go. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much, Ian. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for uh, your wonderful, very welcome, great, great tales. And thank you, Julia. No problem. Um, We've also got uh, lots of stuff in the magazine uh, this week, as per usual. Um, Chris Dillo um, is asking uh, if we should be selling in May and going away, as we ask every year. Um, Bearball is worried about a bubble in Chinese equity um, and uh, is asking whether how investors can protect themselves from this. Um, secondary feature by uh, a regular contributor, Nick Louth, is about the mistakes investors commonly make and how to avoid them. Uh, and the stock screen, a uh, very interesting one, uh, continuing our, our small cap theme, is small cap special situations. Uh, companies that look like you should run a mile from, but Algy's done his magic, worked his magic, and, uh, and given you a, a slightly safer way to play this, which returned uh, huge amounts last year. Um, so yeah, all the usual stuff, uh, some results coming through this week. Tune into the Personal Finance Podcast for, uh, for the plentiful personal finance content uh, in the magazine. And uh, other than that, uh, I'll leave you to uh, enjoy your weekend. Buy the magazine, £4.50 and all good news agents. And uh, see you next week. Goodbye.